Amen, amen. Thank you so much, Gateway Church. I really appreciate the welcome, uh, and I'm excited today to get into the Word of God with you. Are you guys excited? I, I, I want to tell you something. I used to work at a ministry down in Georgia. I'm originally from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, um, but I worked with a ministry down in Georgia, and I love getting preached back at. You guys know what I'm talking about? I love the amens. I love the come on, brothers. I love all of that. So don't be afraid. Uh, don't 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 be afraid. Don't be embarrassed. If if I say something good, let me know, and I will keep on going. Um, so <laughs> so everyone's like, no one better say anything. He I. I need to get out of here on time. No, I'm joking, but um, man, I love to share the word of God with you today. I truly believe God um, God spoke to me to, to, to share something that God's going to really touch your hearts. And so let's open up with a word of prayer, um, and then we'll get right into uh, the message today. Father, thank you so much for your love, your grace, and your mercy. Thank you, God, that you are here with us. You are Emmanuel, God with us, and you are here today. Thank you so much for the people here, the congregation here. Thank you, Father, for their, um, their great welcome and, and their excellence, the core value um, in being excellent in what they do, in, 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 in sharing and welcoming missionaries. God, I just thank you for that. And I pray in Jesus' name that today you would speak to our hearts and you would reveal to us um, how we can live selflessly in 2016. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. In 1995, an, a children's author named Helen Lester had a book published called Me First. It was about a pig named Pinkerton who wanted to be the first in everything. He wanted to be the first to go down the slide at school, the cafeteria lines, and he just wanted to be first in everything that he did. One day, his class went to the beach for a day trip, and Pinkerton was the first one on the bus, the first one off the bus, the first one into the water, the first out of the water, and the first one to get into the picnic basket. Shortly after they, they, they had some time on the beach, their troop went on a hike, and Pinkerton led the way first in line. As they went on their hike, Pinkerton heard a voice off in the distance saying, Who would care for a sandwich? Pinkerton couldn't help himself, and off he took, running along the beach, yelling, Me first! Me first! The voice got closer and closer, asking, Who would care for a sandwich? And Pinkerton, chasing after the voice, was exclaiming, me first, me first. And just when he was almost at the source of the voice, he tripped over a sand dune and fell, splat, face first, right in front of a small creature that, according to Helen Lester, the author, had a bump on her nose and fur on her toes. This creature looked at Pinkerton and said, well, I'm glad to see you. I guess you really would care for a sandwich. As Pinkerton sat there, he waited anxiously, expecting a delicious sandwich. And he asked, where, where is the sandwich? You're looking at her, replied the creature. I am a sandwich. I live in the sand. And you said you would care for a sandwich. So, 
here I am, care for me. What follows in the book is a list of chores that the sand witch gives Pinkerton to take care of her. Tasks like to powder her nose and comb her toes, put her supper in a bucket and feed her with a shovel, to wash the dishes, to sweep the castle, do laundry, do her hair, tuck her in bed and tell her a bedtime story. Pinkerton expresses a deep regret as he tells the story of a pushy pig who always wanted to be first and a wise witch who taught him that first was not always best. Now, as a kid, I found this story quite amusing and funny, yet as an adult, all the while, it's very telling. We, we talk to our kids and we teach our kids how to think about other people, to, to think about others first and, and how, to, uh, how to, to, to uh, we teach them how they can serve other people and put others before themselves and, and to think of others. And I look at that and we teach our children that. However, sometimes I, I fear that our society and maybe even ourselves, we are like... Pinkerton the pig. Our walk doesn't necessarily match our talk. You see, I spent Christmas with my family in, in Pittsburgh, and my brother had about 20 people at his house, kids and adults, and it was crazy. Everyone was running around. We had a whole buffet line of food that people brought and made. And uh, my dad had always taught me as a young boy that I needed, when, when there was a situation where there were a lot of people eating, I waited until everyone had gone through the line first before I went up and got my plate. And so I'm sitting, I, uh, we're all there. Everyone's having a good time. It's Christmas. Everyone's like celebrating. And uh, we, we, we get everyone together. We say the prayer. And the moment we say amen, wouldn't you know, the very first person to get up, grab his plate, and fill it with smoked ham and cornbread casserole was my dad. I mean, I don't know. Maybe he was just very hungry. Maybe he hadn't eaten all day. Who am I to question his motives, right? But not long after that, I, I went with Starbucks to my brother. I, with my brother to Starbucks. I went with my brother to Starbucks, and we were going through the drive through line. And sometimes, uh, especially during Christmas, I, I like to call it, it's the, uh, the pay-forward season, December 15th through 31st. When I go to Starbucks, every once in a while, I'll pay for someone in the car behind me when I'm in the drive through And so I was going through the drive through and I ordered my, me, my brother and, and me some coffee. And, um, and I looked at the, the cashier, and I said, hey, if you wouldn't mind, I'd like to also take care of the people behind me as well. And she looked at me, looked back at the register, looked at me and said, but it's a $30 order. I must have been buying coffee for their whole family. But I, I, looked, at, uh, I looked at this cashier and I said, okay, that, that's fine. Go ahead and, uh, and pay for that and, and, and tell them, make sure you tell them I said Merry Christmas. So she hands me back the drinks and everything, and as she's handing me back the drinks, she looks at me and says, I, I know what you're, what you're wanting to do. I know that you're, you're doing, you, you know, it's really nice what you're doing, but a $30 order, <laughs> I would have never paid for that. 
And I looked at this girl in, in, the, in the Starbucks drive-thru, and I just said, simply said to her, that's unfortunate. Merry Christmas. And I drove off. And I pay, uh, you know, and I'm sure they were very thankful that I paid for their $30 coffee. But this world, this society, seems to have a Pinkerton pig, me first mentality. Going through the drive-thru, the, the cashier couldn't believe that I would spend $30 on someone else's coffee. Are you kidding me? That's, that's ridiculous. That's unbelievable. It's a me first, Pinkerton pig mentality. It's self-centered world that states that you should think of yourself before anything or anybody else. And today, I want to talk to you about living selflessly in a self-centered world. Now, before we really dive into the word of God here, I want to make a distinction. I am not calling anyone in this room selfish. I don't want anyone to get a fan. I don't want you to tune me out because you think I'm calling you selfish. That's not what I'm doing. That's not my intention. Um, but selfish is kind I want to make a distinction here between being selfish and being self-centered. You see, there's, there's, a, there's a distinction between there that I want us to ask, and it's not that you would ask today, am I selfish? Because I don't think anyone in this room would say, yeah, I'm selfish. But possibly... Is it possible that you might be self-centered? Let's look at the difference between the two. Um, selfish is a very bad word. Very bad word. Have you ever called someone selfish to their face and seen their reaction? You're selfish. Oh, you wouldn't think that you just slapped their mom if you called them selfish. You wouldn't think that, oh, it, it, it's, it's going down like we're taking this outside. We're throwing down right now. If you call someone selfish, it's offensive. It's an offensive thing to call someone selfish. It, it's, it's, it's selfish because uh, being selfish, someone that is selfish, it means that they lack full consideration of other people. They lack entire consideration of other people. Uh, it's not even something on their mind. They, they don't care about others and cannot be bothered with helping or considering someone else. They are completely and utterly entranced by themselves. They don't give to charity. They don't help old ladies cross the street. Like Ebenezer Scrooge, they lift their noses and say, bah humbug to anyone, suggesting that they might want to come and serve somewhere else and volunteer. They view volunteering as a waste of time and a wasted effort, selfishness is complete dismissal and an absence of compassion towards anyone other than yourself. I'm not saying anyone here is selfish. Self-centered, on the other hand, is slightly different. To be self-centered is to be preoccupied with your own affairs that you miss the opportunity to bless another. You have compassion for those that are homeless. You might even watch Facebook Facebook videos and are moved by people who go out of their way to help others. You pray for the less fortunate and those that are in war-torn countries. You, you talk about wishing that someone would do something to lend a helping hand to the veterans who come back from war and struggle to find a job. 
you've even considered giving more to charity, and, and you encouraged others in the church that they should give more. However, your preoccupation with what you have to do, with what you need to do, or already are doing, that you don't volunteer more, you don't donate as much as you could, and you don't add anything else to your plate because you already have a lot going on. Today, my challenge to you is to move from sympathy to empathy and empathy to action as we strive to live selflessly in a self-centered world. And we should live selflessly because the law commanded it and Jesus modeled it. Join with me in turning in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. It's also going to be on the screen there. You can follow along in your Bibles or, um, or on the screen or even turn on your cell phone and look it up on your cell phone, on your Bible app. There you go. If you're there, say, I got it. Awesome. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Therefore, the Apostle Paul says, Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind. Regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in you yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And it is for this reason also that God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Christ Jesus, we thank you so much for your presence here with us today. God, we, we honor you and we worship you. And today I pray in the name of Jesus that our hearts would be open to hear what you would say to us, that, that y our hearts would, would, would accept your word as truth. And Father, that you would help us to see ourselves in ways that we can live selflessly in a self-centered world. In Jesus' name, amen. The law. The law of the, in the Old Testament commanded people to live selflessly. The first thing we have to learn about how to be selfless in a self-centered world is that the law commanded it. The Hebrew people had a set of standards that they followed, a set of rules that God gave to them. The, the, and in the New Testament, it's mostly mentioned as the law, the law of Moses. These standards were given by God to the Hebrews. 
And Leviticus 19, verses 9 through 18, show different ways that the law commanded the Hebrew people to live selflessly. You don't have to turn there, but I'm going to read some of it for you today. Starting in verse 9, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap to the very corners of your field, nor shall you gather the gleaning of your harvest, nor glean your vineyard, or gather the fallen fruit of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the needy and for the stranger. I am the Lord your God. Basically, as you're harvesting your crops, don't go through a second time and pick up all the scraps. If stuff falls, leaves it there for people who are in need. They'll come by and take it. Verse 11, don't steal or deal falsely or lie to one another. Don't swear falsely by my name. Don't tell lies. Don't manipulate. Don't, uh, don't mislead other people. You shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired man are not to remain with you all night until morning. Basically, give people their due wages. Don't rip people off. Don't rob people, but serve other people. Be selfless. Give people. Give back to those. Give correct wages to those that uh, work for a living. He continues to go. Don't curse a deaf man or place a stumbling block in front of the blind. And, and he continues on. And, and, and in verse 18, it says, you shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself, for I am the Lord. These words in Leviticus are the very words that Jesus used and quoted when he was confronted and approached by, by Pharisees and teachers of the law and said, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus responded to them and he said, the greatest commandment is this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself, quoting from the book of Leviticus. The book of Leviticus told people they needed to live selflessly in their life. Have you ever been forced to do something that you didn't want to do or maybe told to do something and, and, that, and liked it? Have you ever been told, hey, go do this and enjoyed being told that? Maybe, see, I can't stand being forced to do things a certain way. Uh, I like to consider myself a figure-it-outer, a problem-solver, or a greater efficiency finder. If I can do something that is quicker, cheaper, easier, more proficient, and will deliver the same product or better, by golly, I'm going to do it. I will figure it out and I will do it. And I can't stand being told that it needs to be done a certain way because that's the way we've always done it and that's the way it's going to be done. My whole family are contractors. My stepdad owns his own business. My oldest brother owns his own contracting business as well. And I have another brother named Paul who went to school for masonry. I grew up roofing and framing and putting up siding. I would wake up and hop on top of a roof at 5 a.m. during the summer so that I can rip shingles off a house so that I can make a couple of extra bucks. You know, I'd wake up early, get up there and start shoveling shingles so that I wouldn't die of a heat stroke during the day. It gets hot up there on those roofs. I grew up doing that. And my brother Paul ended up working for my stepdad for a while, and, and so they, they just clashed sometimes, and my brother Paul got kicked off of the work site. I can't tell you how many times my stepdad just said, pack up your stuff and get out of here, and just told my brother to go. Well, 
this Christmas, I was able to talk to my brother Paul a little bit, um, and we got in the conversation of working for my stepdad and, and these types of things. And, and, uh, and my stepdad always needed things done the right way, and the right way was his way. Um, and, and so they would be on the job site and my brother would start, uh, start working and do stuff the way he learned it in school or he's done it before. And my stepdad would walk over and be like, you're doing this all wrong and try to show him how he needs to do it. And when my brother, when Paul would be like, well, you know, I'm doing it this way because of this reason or that reason, my stepdad would explode, just blow up and yell at him and scream at him and tell him he needs to do it the right way. So my brother, eventually, he told me that he eventually learned how to work with my stepdad. He said, um, you know, you, uh, you, I work with, uh, you work with uh, my stepdad. When he comes over and tells you how to do something, you, you start to do it the way he showed you. But the moment he goes to another side of the house to get work done, I would just start doing it the way I wanted to do it anyways. He wouldn't even know. The funny part about that story is my brother told me that my stepdad would walk back over to where my brother was working, look at his finished product and say, wow, that looks perfect. See, I told you you should do it my way and walk. The <laughs> no one really likes being told what to do. There are micromanagers who have to have a part in everything that you do. We all know them. We have that one friend, maybe our spouse or significant other, that asks for your help in the kitchen. Yet everything that is asked of you is done wrong. Maybe you were asked to whip the whipping cream, and it was taking too long, so she comes over and turns up the speed on the electric beater, and all of a sudden the whipping cream turns to butter. And then she blames you for turning it into butter. I may or may not be speaking from personal experiences, but little side note, butter on the top of hot chocolate doesn't taste too bad. Sometimes having someone tell you how to do simple daily tasks that you've done for years can get underneath your skin. Nobody likes being told and ordered what to do. What might even be worse is being asked to do something, but in reality, you have no say in the matter. Do you want to take out the trash? Who wants to take out the trash? Who genuinely wants to do that? Do you want to pick up the house? Maybe clean your room first before you go out today. You see, anyone who is anyone knows that these are not requests but demands. This is kind of what the law was like. It was a command that God gave with consequences that forced the Hebrew people to live selflessly. And I believe that the Apostle Paul, when he was writing his letters, was tapping into his knowledge of the Old Testament and books of the law. In his writing, he talks how the law binds and is restricting and it enslaves as opposed to frees. Paul knew that the law was trying to command selflessness and force those who loved God to live selflessly. And although it worked to keep the Hebrew people separate from other nations in that time, it wasn't enough. In the end, the strict regulations failed to put selflessness into the heart of humanity. It's not enough just to command it, but it needs to be felt deep in the heart of a person to become a part of your life. 
God knew something better would be needed. So he sent his son, Jesus. Why should we live selflessly in a self-centered world? Number one is it's because the law commanded it, but better than that is that Jesus modeled it. This is what the Apostle Paul is encouraging the church in Philippi to do. Remember Christ's selflessness. When we consider the example that Christ lived, we're driven to that goal of being intent on one sole purpose, to live selflessly, humbly, and for other people. When you read verses 3 through 5 of Philippians chapter 2, we're encouraged to think of Christ in these ways. Jesus did nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. He regarded others more important than himself. He looked out for the interests of of others and what follows in verses 6 through 8 is possibly the greatest summation of Christ's life of humility and selfishness verses 6 through 8 read like this it says um Jesus who although he existed in the form of God did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped but he emptied himself taking on the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Paul is sort of begging the church to live selflessly. If we are who we say that we are, we need to live like Christ in selflessness. Over the summer, I went on a missions trip to Mexico, and uh, I was a leader on the trip. I was partnered up with another leader, um, a a guy by the name of Vinny. And Vinny, um, a little bit about him, he uh, was very successful, and he was wealthy. It wasn't that he boasted or bragged about it, but it was something he wasn't ashamed of. Uh, he was he was a very successful guy and and one of these days we were um, one, on one of our off days we ended up going uh, back into San Diego California and spending the day on a beach and and during this time we ran into we, we, we drove past some homeless people who were panhandling on the side of the road at the stoplights and Vinny began to share with me that he doesn't help any of these homeless people who are out on the streets panhandling or anything like that because he can't be sure or guarantee that the money he gives would go to the right place. Now, don't get upset with Vinny. That is probably the number one response that people give for why they don't throw some change into a homeless man's bucket. I've worked with homeless people uh, throughout my various ministry positions, and and I felt like I should share a little bit with Vinny that day about what God has kind of showed me through working with the homeless. I I told him, I said, Vinny, look, I, I don't think that God puts us in those positions where we're able to give so that we can make a good judgment call and decide whether or not this person would use the money to actually get food or not. But I feel that God puts us in those positions to test our heart. It's not our responsibility to, de- to, to, to figure out how they're going to use the money, but it's our responsibility, our duty, and, and our, it's our heart of giving that God is testing. Are we willing to give without knowing all of the details? Are we willing to say, you know what, I have compassion towards people and I'm going to surrender, not knowing everything, but I'm going to give my change. I'm going to give a few bucks. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I don't feel like God puts us in those situations to make a good judgment call, but God puts us in those situations to test our heart. 
It's the heart of the giver that God tests. It's not our responsibility to figure out how they'll spend the money. I told him, I said, it's our responsibility to be willing to live selflessly. And Vinny looked at me and he said, man, you know what? I, I actually have never heard anyone put it in that perspective before. And he thanked me and he, he asked that I would pray with him and, and I prayed with him and, and we asked that God would continue to build a heart of selflessness and giving in Vinny's life. John the Baptist says in Luke 3, 11, that the man who has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And he who has food is to do likewise. James chapter 1, verse 27 says that a key pillar of our faith is that we look after the orphans and the widows. But it's not just a command. It's the example of Christ and our faith in him that causes it to sink deeply into our hearts. When we look at what Jesus went through and understand the pressures he felt, we can't but be compelled and drawn to tears at the sacrifice and selflessness of him that we too must be selfless. His sacrifice. You think of, of everything he's done, how he became a man and he, and he was obedient to death, even death on a cross, the most brutal and agonizing death someone could face. And in his last moments, in his moments in the Garden of Gethsemane, his prayer was, Lord, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, not myself, not my own thinking, but God, your will be done. If it means I must go to the cross and die, I will. I will be obedient. And in those last moments, he could have been thinking about God. I pray that, uh, you know, Father, I pray that uh, I won't feel the pain as I'm hanging there on the That wasn't his prayer. His prayer in those moments, the most stressful, agonizing times of his life was this. It was, God, I pray for my disciples and, my, and the apostles, and I pray for everyone who would follow them in, in line and in believing in me and believing in you, Father. He prayed in his most agonizing moments for you. And that moment when he was hanging on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You want to talk about an example of selflessness. The people who hung him on the cross, he was praying that God would forgive them. The example of Christ causes us, it cuts to our hearts and causes us to desire to live selflessly following the example of Christ. In Jesus, selflessness can reach into the heart of humanity and compel us to live for others. Because surrendering to Christ is to die to yourself. And when you die to yourself, there's nobody left to be self-centered around. Only Jesus. We should live selflessly because the law commanded it. And Jesus modeled it. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, if there is any of these things among you, be of the same mind. Maintain the same love. Be united in spirit and intent on this one purpose. Live selflessly. And regard others more important than yourselves. Our society is going down a sick path of self-centeredness. 
It's a world that says I'm going to do what I want and what I feel regardless of what anybody else says, thinks, promotes, or fights. I will do what I need to do to get ahead, to be successful. I will do what I need to do. I'm going to do me. You worry about yourself. It's a self-centered society, and it's the reason why Megan Vogel, the girl up here on the picture, it's the reason why her story became viral. Megan Vogel is a track star down in Ohio. She, one year she was running, she was at a state competition, and she ran the mile, the 1,600 meters. It's a mile race, and she won that race, first place with a personal best and a state record. But it's not that race that she received all of the fame for. What happened is a few races later, she ran the two mile. She ran the two mile and she was so exhausted by this time. She had just, uh, you know, ran her best in a new state record in the mile, the two mile. She got exhausted and tired and she fell behind and she was in last place. Megan Vogel was in last place, and as she came around the bend to the final straightaway, she saw the girl in front of her begin to stagger and then collapse on the track. At this point, Megan had two options. Number one is to lean over and help up her other, the, the other runner. If she did this, what would happen is she would be disqualified, so would the girl, and both of them would not finish the race with a time. It would be the first time ever that Megan Vogel never finished a race. Or she could have decided to keep running past her, finish the race, and finally have some rest for the day. In that moment, Megan Vogel decided on this thing to be selfless, to reach down, to stop, to reach down, pull the other girl over her shoulder and walk her past the finish line. And as she got to the finish line, she literally, you, there's a video of it, she pushed the other, um, she pushed this girl that she's carrying across the finish line before herself to say, you deserve more than I do. This was an act of selflessness that got her on t talk shows, on TV shows. But my question is, shouldn't that be the normal? Shouldn't that be what we do is care for others? Consider others more than ourselves and live selflessly. Bobby, if you could come back up for a quick few moments. The call to Christianity is radical selflessness in a self-centered world. Jesus says on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 that you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. He's saying your transformation should be so radically different from this world that when people see you, when they see your good works, when they see your selflessness, when they see your volunteering, your giving, your, your, your promoting other people more than yourselves, when they see your selflessness, it will draw them closer to understanding the love of God. Today I want us to take a moment and ask ourselves, and this can't be a conversation that someone else talks to you about. It can't be a conversation that someone else points out to you. This has to be something between you and God. To ask yourself, have I fallen into the trap of self-centeredness? 
have I fallen into the trap of self-centeredness that I'm so focused on my own agendas, things that I need to do that I miss out on blessing other people? Been so focused on me and my life and my desires or my kids and my family's desires that I don't invest in other people as much as I could. I think that we need to be people who step up and say, I'm not just going to teach my kids to not be like Pinkerton the pig, but I'm actually going to believe it and act in it and live selflessly. I'm not just going to teach my kids to put others first, but I'm going to live it and I'm going to step back and let other people go before me. I'm not going to think about myself before I think of others, but I'll think of others first. It's kind of opposite than what they do on airplanes. Please put your mask on first and then think of other people. But think opposite of that when serving others is you need to be selfless. Put the mask on as many other people as possible. Our kids, our wives, our husbands, grandchildren, brothers and sisters, parents and grandparents, those that we don't even know. We need to be examples to them of selflessness in a self-centered world. What good is finishing the race if you leave a trail of hurt and suffering behind you? What good is completing the race if behind you there's people passed out and fainted on the track? Megan Vogel said, not today. I'm going to live selflessly. And I'm going to help this opponent cross the finish line. Today we have to ask ourselves, how can I live selflessly in 2016? The law commanded it. Jesus modeled it, and we should live it. I was very blessed to, to talk to Pastor Bobby and Pastor Ben a little bit about this message. As I was praying through it and I got the topic and I was looking and I, I, I was developing the sermon, I called up Pastor Bobby and I was like, hey, uh, I'm going to be coming and I'm going to talk about this. And I was speaking to Pastor Ben earlier this week about it and, and I I was astonished to see and hear from them. That's great because, you know, we're, we're kind of in the middle of, of the Time to Build campaign. And, and the week after you're here is, is a ministry fair. And you're talking about living selflessly and giving and serving. I thought to myself, this is what God is doing in this church this is a word that God wants to speak to the church right here in this moment, in this time, this week, to consider how you can live selflessly in a self-centered world. Maybe you can write a faith promise down for the campaign to build. Maybe you can give a little bit more into missions giving from the church Maybe it's volunteering and serving. Maybe it's leading a group. Whatever it might be, how can you live selflessly? 
Maybe you've connected with God already or you're just beginning to connect with others and, and you want to connect with the world. Well, guess what? This, this ministry fair next week is a place where you can get plugged in and make a decision to say, I'm going to live selflessly. I'm going to serve more. I'm going to volunteer more. I'm going to do more. I'm going to give more because I know that when we give selflessly, God honors it. Today I want to give us a few moments. I asked Bobby to sing a little bit of a song here. And if you would all stand with me today. As we sing this last chorus together, I want you to consider. Consider for yourself, how can I live selflessly in 2016? What can I do to live for others today? Would you join with me today? When we surrender all to Christ, we rely on Him for everything. We rely on Him for, to provide. We rely on Him for our comfort. We rely on Jesus. I need you, oh, I need you. Every hour, I need you. When we live selflessly, these words, the words of this song ring true in our life. That the only person to be centered on is Jesus. I want to give all of you in here in this room an opportunity today. There might be some of you in here that maybe it's your first time visiting. Maybe you've come here a while. Who knows? But you've never made a decision to say, I want to serve Jesus wholeheartedly with everything that I have. I want to connect with God. And you're in here today and you would say, you know, Kevin, crazy guy from Connecticut, you know what? I want to serve Jesus. And with every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's you today, and you would say, you know, Kevin, I, I want to serve God. I want to connect with God today. As a sign of the, to just so that I can pray for you, if you could just raise your hand as a sign to say, you know what? Pray for me. I want to connect with God. Pray for me. I want to connect with God. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. If you raise your hand, you can just put it down as soon as I acknowledge you. Thank you. Thank you. Today, church, we're going to do something. We're going we're gonna to pray a prayer all together. And those of you that raised your hand, it's not a prayer that saves you. It's your relationship with God. It's an ongoing commitment of confessing Jesus as Lord and believing that God raised him from the dead. The Bible says when those things happen, you will be saved. The only thing this prayer is doing is helping you confess for the very first time that Jesus is Lord. So if you will repeat after me. Dear Jesus, thank you so much for coming for me, for dying for me. Thank you for your selfless life as a model to me. You came, you died, and rose again for the salvation of the world. I receive you now and confess you as my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.
Amen. I want to encourage you, if you prayed that prayer and you meant it today, I want you to connect with one of the pastors here, one of the leaders here at the church, and they'll be able to help you in next steps and where to go from here. My last challenge to you is this. Whatever it is that you decide in your life to live selflessly in 2016 in a self-centered world, make that commitment and keep it. Live by it. And do everything you can to live selflessly today. Thank you guys so much. Thank you, Pastor.